nothing left to burn. You have to set yourself on fire. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, Sisters Edition with Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. We're happy to be back for the month of February. Yes, we are. In my family this month, we've been busy with a broken bone. My second child broke a wrist oh. at school <laughs> on the playground. It's been quite the quite the event in our family. This is our first like major injury. Here's my question to you. Do your kids... Uh, like to have blessings when they get sick or get injured? Um, You know, sometimes they do and sometimes they uh-huh. don't. It's usually one of those things that sadly enough really isn't on their radar screen. Right. It's usually not until um, either myself or my husband suggests that, that then they go, oh, oh right, yeah, we'd right. like that. Yeah, which I think is normal. Yeah. I was just curious because I have, you know, I think all three of my girls um, – do not want to have blessings. Really? It's almost like they're scared of them. I don't know. It's interesting. They'll let us do father's blessings. They'll let my husband do a father's blessing like at the beginning of the school year. But like when this little one was Uh hurt um, and her arm was obviously in a lot of pain, she went to the ER, we got her fixed up and then she had to go back to get it reset a couple days later. And my husband asked her before we went in, because she was going to have to have anesthesia, do you want a blessing? No. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, we're not going to force her or co- well, yeah. coerce her. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how my other two are too at other times when they've had interesting sickness or injuries and we've asked. They're always like, no, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious uh, if what if this is how it is with other kids. Yeah. I don't know if it's like an unknown and they're just like not super comfortable with it yet because yeah. they haven't had that many. I don't know what it is, but... Huh, that is, that's interesting because, you know, I think about it and I don't, I mean, obviously my husband has given far more father's blessings to our children mm-hmm. than he has blessings of, you know, healing and, and comfort because, you know, there's some sort of an illness. Right. Um, I can only think of one particular time where my son really seriously injured himself playing um, rugby mm-hmm. that my husband gave him a blessing and it was a very powerful, very spiritual experience. But mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know if it's one of those things where, um, you know, if it's just minor stuff, you think, oh, you know, I don't want to impose right. for just minor stuff. I'm good. I got this. When, when I'm yeah. dead, let me, you know, on, on <laughs> right. death's doorstep. Kind of like our criteria for taking an ambulance. Are you on death's doorstep? No, then you don't need an ambulance. <laughs> right. But that shouldn't be the criteria for seeking seeking that type of a blessing. Anytime you want it, right? you know, you'd be entitled to that. Yes. Anyway, anyway, that's very interesting. I, know. I was just I never curious. thought about that. Yeah. I was just curious if other kids do this too or if it's just mine, you know. Yes. But anyway, she's on her way to healing. Since we are here to discuss news, should we discuss news? Yes. Now, okay. if you are a listener of our recordings, you know we have a segment that we like called Mormons Behaving Badly. Which usually we do at the end. We don't like it because we don't want Mormons to behave badly, but... They can't help themselves sometimes. (laughs) It just happens. (gasps) But rather than do it at the end of our stories today, we're going to do it at the beginning because we don't want to feel rushed in discussing this particular story. This is one that last time we podcasted, we completely forgot to bring it up because it was out in the news. 
back then, but we just, it fell off our radar. We forgot to bring it up, but this is one we've been following for about two months now here in Idaho. Well, and the other thing too is it wasn't, although it was on our radar screen then, it has kind of exploded since then and much more on the national scene since then. Right. So this is an Idaho story out of Idaho, but also involves many other states. So there is this guy named Chad Daybell who was living in Rexburg, Idaho, um, and this woman named Lori Vallow, who was living in she Arizona. Was in Arizona. Uh, her husband dies. He's shot by her brother. That's like a whole other story. Allegedly in self-defense. Uh, then several, she ends up moving to Rexburg. She knows this guy, Chad Daybell, from an online uh, kind of spring off group of the church. These are both members. Well, I think they'd actually met too, because I think mm-hmm. he spoke at a conference about a year ago in February, 2019. She belongs to kind of this prepper group right. that's out there prepping for the end of days sort of a thing. And I think he spoke at that conference okay. and that's where they had that's originally they met. met. Originally met. So they're members of this kind of fringe shoot off group that's like end of the world apocalypse. Yeah, prepping type of thing. So anyway, she ends up moving to Rexburg. His wife mysteriously died in November? No, October. October. Early October. Uh, They said of natural causes, but in hindsight, everyone's super suspicious. Two weeks after his wife dies, he marries this lady from Arizona. Uh, The reason it has been so much in the news is she brought two children with her from Arizona, a 17-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old boy that were her kids, brought them with her, supposedly brought them with her. Uh, Nobody has seen them since September. Yes. They were, he was pulled out of his school in Arizona, the 7-year-old. Yeah. Uh, never went to school in Idaho. Relatives like grandma and grandpa who were out of state have not physically seen him or talked to him on the phone since September. And this didn't all come out probably till around November. Finally, they're raising the alarm. Look, someone needs to check on these kids. They do a welfare check on the house. She claims the kids are in Arizona. Turns out the kids are not in Arizona. The police follow up on that. Anyway, after a couple months of back and forth, finally the police told her you need you to have, produce the children. You have this many days to show us where the kids are. But at this point in time, she was in Hawaii with yes. the new husband. They left Idaho. Once people started to get suspicious yeah. about the kids, left Idaho, go to Hawaii. They're hanging out there, laying low. The Hawaii police serve her this order. You have this deadline to produce the children to the officials in Idaho. Deadline comes and goes, and everybody's just kind of now... Like, what do we do? Yeah, what do we do now? They've executed several search warrants. And then, like, dead bodies are just, like, piling up everywhere in this yeah. case. Because her brother, who shot her husband, allegedly in self-defense, then ends up dying in December. Right. And his death, they're uh, investigating his death to determine what the circumstances of his death were. Um, supposedly they originally thought that maybe it was a heart issue. I guess he'd been dead for about a week before anybody found him. But I mean, this story just blows it's me away. Crazy. And then she has a niece 
who her ex-husband, who she was separated from, yeah. got shot at also, supposedly by the brother who's now dead. It is like the most convoluted story. Oh, oh yeah. In fact, our local TV station here has a family tree that whenever they talk about this case that they plop on up on the screen, because you literally need to see this yeah. family tree to follow everything. But a couple of things that I find just like kind of mind-blowing to me in this case um, so he had written a lot of, in fact, I think this is how he made his living. He was an author and he had written a lot of books in an LDS genre, so right. to speak. He was self-published. He wasn't like with Deseret Book or anything no. like that. And so he had written a lot of these books. I think he was fairly successful, seemingly a very active member of the church, you know, and then his wife passes away. They believe it's natural circumstances. Then all of a sudden, two weeks later, he's married to this woman. And it's come out since then. He'd been corresponding with her and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his wife's, in his wife's obituary, his youngest kid is serving a mission right now. Um, all of his kids are seemingly active. And, and what's been interesting is, um, I, you know, there's been very little from his side in terms of his kids, his relatives that have spoken out. A lot of people associated with her or her ex-husband's side have spoken out, but his kids, everything I've seen is they support their dad. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, we lost our mother and we lost our mother to cancer. Mm -hmm. This was not an unexpected losing, but if our dad had gotten married two weeks later, oh, I would have flipped out. I would have flipped the flipped out, especially if it was an unexpected death. I would have been going, the fish in Denmark are not smelling good right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it is crazy. And the other thing that I think is so interesting is they can't, the police are saying they can't really charge them with anything because the kids are missing, but it's, there's no really law. Yeah. There, there's not a crime they can charge them with. Yeah. Which is bizarre to me. And it makes yeah. me wonder if this case will spur maybe some legislation yeah. to like, if you cannot produce your children under 18, like there should be some type of yeah. law. Wouldn't you think that you have to be able to at least say, Hey, they're with a relative and check. And yes, yeah. they are with a relative. It's well, crazy. Here's what the judge can do because they're subject to Idaho law mm-hmm. because she was an Idaho resident. The kids were, you know, the last time anybody saw the kids was supposedly here in Idaho. The judge has ordered her to produce the kids. Since she failed to show up and produce the kids, the judge could issue, um, what's called an order to show cause to say, Hey, you know, haul you, I'm going to haul you back here and I want you to, you know, show, show cause why you didn't produce the kids. The judge could say to her, I'm going to put you in jail till you either produce those kids mm-hmm. or you tell us where those kids are so we can verify where those kids are. And in that scenario, they call it holding the key to your own jail cell mm-hmm. because she can walk out of jail once she produces the kids or tells them where the kids are sort of a thing. You know, why they are not taking that right. position at this time, I don't know. I know they're doing an active investigation. And so, you know, maybe they're trying to gather pieces before um, they take that. I don't know. Huh. But the most bizarre thing, I will let you read the article that talks about the most bizarre thing oh, this, Chad and Lori have done in the last few weeks. This is the crazy thing. I assumed that since they were part of this, like, offshoot spring 
like offshoot group of the yes. church. I kind of just... Well, I don't think it's an offshoot group of the church. I think they're just yeah. preppers. I guess they're preppers. I have had, a lot of association. I, with, in my mind, had assumed yes. it was like an offshoot group yeah. of the church and that they were doing their own thing. Yeah. No, I, I was think wrong. they're just preppers. <laughs> and the preppers, a lot of the preppers right. are members of the church. So this is what blows my mind. This is why I was shocked when I read this. They have been to ch- going to LDS church the past like two weeks in Kauai. Yeah. Where they're staying, like they showed up for there's, sacrament meeting. There's video of them walking into the chapel. They have the, the chapel that they have or the meeting house over there in Kauai has kind of a center courtyard mm-hmm. thing, which I think is pretty common in the islands. And so there's a door from the outside that just goes directly into the chapel. And the video I saw, you could see Lori and Chad walking into the chapel. You could see people seated in the chapel because there were windows mm-hmm. right there. And they were going into a door that, right. you know, kind of like your typical door on the back end of the chapel. Right. And the members there in Kauai have reported that they immediately when they showed up to church, yeah. went to the local church leaders and said, hey, the media reports are false. This is getting blown out of proportion. The media is just like going crazy with this. It's not true, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So they're trying to kind of sweet talk the leaders there. I know. But can it's you even imagine? Crazy. What would you think of these people who sh- all of a sudden showed up in your sacrament meeting? What do uh, you do? Ask them where their kids are? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's so sad. Anyway, it's actually, it's just a horrible story. It and is. it's so sad. And if you really want to get the best information that I've gotten on it so far is Dateline covered it last Friday on Valentine's Day, their, yeah. their Friday Dateline. My husband and I did watch this on Valentine's Day. Not the most romantic choice on Valentine's evening, but both of us were like, yeah, we're watching that tonight. <laughs> Um, it was like a two hour dateline, their mm-hmm. typical dateline thing, but I think it did the best I've seen so far of putting all the pieces together of the different players and in a way that I could understand. Cause I'd read so many articles. I was like, who is this person? Who is this person? And something about visually seeing it on dateline yeah, and the interviews, I was able to finally like get in my head. Okay. Now I kind of understand this convoluted family tree exactly. they have going on here. Exactly. Anyway, so that's really interesting. If if you want to go look that up, I'm sure it'll be online on Hulu or something yeah. soon. Well, you know what? Um, Hulu doesn't carry Dateline because oh, I looked don't. for it, but there is an NBC app and mm-hmm. it usually takes two or three days after Dateline airs and they will put it up on their app. Mm-hmm. And when I looked last week, they had a bunch of their Datelines locked. And so you couldn't, you couldn't look at it unless mm-hmm. you put in your cable subscriber. If you don't have a cable subscriber like me, then you had to like wait a couple weeks till they unlocked it. But I looked today and everything that was locked last Friday is mm-hmm. now unlocked, but they don't have the latest episode okay. up yet. So it should be up soon. It should be up. And I want to, I, before we beat this horse to death, I want to say one other thing that is really interesting about this story. Mm-hmm. So this story has obviously expanded beyond our region and is now national. Generally speaking, when you have stories that involve members of the church, the headline is LDS Mormon, right. LDS Mormon. That has been an understatement in the national media in this case. You really have to look hard to to determine that these people, or at least he, is a member of the church. I agree. The Datelight special mentioned it several times, although they did get the name wrong. Well, what did they call (laughs) us? At one point in time, he said the Latter-day Saints Church. He didn't say... 
Yeah. There was one point in time where he said well, Latter-day Saints, the Church of Latter-day Saints or Latter-day Saints Church. Well, he better go read the press release from, <laughs> he did, he LDS, the from, from the church newsroom Come about on, Keith Morrison. how you're supposed to call us. <laughs> yes. So, um, but you're right. There were many articles when this first came out that didn't even mention it. Yeah. So, so to me, that gives us hope that, you know, maybe the media is not any whack job that comes along that's remotely associated with, with the church that they don't throw a tagline on it and say, Mormons. Right. <laughs> it is interesting that they haven't focused on that. I wonder so I'm, kind if of, I'm glad though. Yeah, I'm glad too. And I wonder if it's because there are so many other details they have to focus on because yeah. this case is so expansive. That Very true. That is a minor detail. Anyway, we will keep following that. Yes. Okay. In, All right. What's next? In other news, other members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the coronavirus that has broken out in China and has been spreading. Well, there was a cruise ship, a princess cruise ship to be specific, that had done a tour of several different Asian countries over there. And one of the gentlemen on the cruise ship got off in Hong Kong because he wasn't feeling well. It was later determined that he had the coronavirus. So then they didn't let anybody get off the cruise ship. Right. So they're in Japan at this point in time, and they have quarantined this cruise ship. And there are uh, two couples from Utah on this cruise ship. There are the Herrings, who are from Tooele, and there are the Jorgensons, who are from St. George. Uh, they did not know each other prior to this cruise ship. I'm sure they are somewhat acquainted now. Mm -hmm. But in any event, they are stuck on this boat outside of Japan. Right. And so this has been very interesting to follow and see because they've had cell phones and internet access and right. they've done interviews I've with seen them on the Today Show. The Today Show mm -hmm. and with, you know, all of the local stations in in Utah. And what was really interesting is last week, so they're they're getting tested on a pretty regular basis. They're they're quarantined to their rooms. I believe they get out on the deck once a day for forty five minutes, but only if they have an interior room. Did you read that? Oh no, I didn't. Only the ones that have interior rooms with no windows get the okay. deck time. And when they're on the deck, they have to stand like three feet away from anybody. Isn't that weird? Oh, that is weird. No, I did not read that. This sounds like torture to me. Well, and the both of these Utah couples have decks, and so oh, okay. they've been able to go outside and you know get the mm -hmm. fresh air. Anyway, so last week, the first Utahn came down with the coronavirus, and it was John Herring. He's one of the individuals. His wife is Melanie. They are from Tooele. So he comes down with the virus. They take him off the ship, and they take him to a hospital. And what was really interesting when they took him to the medical facility is he asks for water. I mean, water is pretty standard anywhere you go here in America, right. whether it's a restaurant or a hospital, you say, I want some water. They flip open the tap and fill your cup up. Apparently not in Japan, at least in the hospital he is in. He was told he had to pay for the water. The only thing that is available to him is tea. That is crazy to it me. It is so crazy. Hello, don't you have to have water to make the tea? Can't you say, bring me the tea minus the tea? At least in America, you don't have to pay for it until you get your bill a few months later, and it's listed under supply. Okay, that's very true. <laughs> and they really charge you like $10 for that bottle of water, actually. They do have tap water at hospitals. Exactly. But they'll charge you for anything else. Exactly. <laughs> So he has, I guess, a couple of yen in his pocket. So he's able uh -huh. to send a nurse like down to the gift store oh, to buy him some water. So he gets crazy. some water. And so um, 
anyway, so his wife is able to get a hold of their son, his son, JJ, and, and JJ's wife, and they arranged for cases of water, toothpaste, shampoo, and soap to be delivered to him because he doesn't have any of these toiletries right. anywhere. And they were going to be delivered to him by the local LDS mission president. I know. I thought that was so cool. Well, I thought that was really cool too. And then the next day they updated mm-hmm. the story that the mission president's not able to get into the hospital to deliver the supplies. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? They wouldn't let, well, could, would they take the supplies in for him? I don't know, but they haven't been able to get the supplies to him. Oh, and so bummer. I, I didn't read that part. I guess this hospital that he's in, uh-huh. like he's on like this three-inch pad. The bedding is awful. He has to use his sheets as a pillow. Aww. It's just really not a, a good scene. So he comes down with it. And then a day or two later, the other Utah couple, who are Mark and Jerry Jorgensen, Jerry comes down with it. And they were really surprised that Jerry came down with it because Mark Jorgensen has had two kidney transplants. Mm-hmm. And so he was, they expected if any if of the two of them, if any right. of them was going to get it, it would be him because he's had these kidney transplants, which affects his immune system. Well, Jerry ended up coming down with it. So she is a little better off than, than brother Herring. Mm-hmm. She got to pack a backpack with her cell phone and a change of clothes and some things like that. Mm-hmm. They haul her off to the hospital. She apparently is at least in a nicer facility where she can get water, but she doesn't have any internet. They're feeding her seaweed. <laughs> the Japanese food is killing her. <laughs> um, you know, everything on television is, is in Japanese. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a oh. bit of a struggle. But what happened over the weekend is finally the U.S. government arranged for a couple of military planes to come. And I think there's 600 Americans, uh, on this cruise ship or right. there's another cruise ship as well. Anyway, they're flying 600 Americans home. And so, um, both of the couples elected the spouse that's not sick to get on the plane. Right. Because if they didn't get on, the, they basically told him, look, if you don't get on the plane, we can't guarantee when, where, and how you're going to get out of here. Right. I mean, as hard as that would be to leave your spouse, that would be really hard. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get on American See soil ya. because <laughs> at least if I get sick, you know, right. I, I'm in America. I know what to expect. Right. Um, and so they're flying them all back. They're going to bring them to a military base in California. And I think they're going to transport some of them to Texas. They're going to stay quarantined for mm-hmm. 14 days on the military base, but at least they're on American soil. Right. And then the other thing I heard is the two that are in the hospital, they're going to send a military medical plane over there and take the ones that are in the hospital and get them back to America. Oh, that'll be nice. So anyway. Wow. Very, very interesting stories that members of our church are having in their encounters with the coronavirus. It is super interesting. And didn't you say you got on one of their Facebook pages because they're posting videos. You can Google Mark Jorgensen Uh or not Google, but put, put it in on a Facebook search and he has made a ton of his posts public. He has um, Facebook live videos that he did. He's got pictures of being on the transport plane. Um, they took their luggage. I don't think he gets to bring his luggage home. They considered the luggage like toxic contaminated. waste oh my. and contaminated. So they took his luggage. Okay. And so he's basically, you know, just got whatever personal stuff he's got, uh, on the plane coming home. So, okay. but yeah, it's totally fascinating to go to his Facebook page and read his posts and watch his videos. Okay. Super interesting. All right. Next story is a little bit of an update, something that Josie and Jeff talked about last week. 
they had pulled a certain number of missionaries from Liberia because of the economic conditions there, dwindling supplies. Um, last week they had pulled 23 who were scheduled to go home soon anyways. Uh, this week they announced just last Thursday that they are pulling all of the remaining missionaries out, which is 90, there were 99 left. Um, they are temporarily transferring them out of the country Nobody knows if they'll be able to make it back, but the church just felt like it was getting too difficult to get them supplies and to have them be safe in this economic crisis, which is so sad. It is. It's sad for the country of Uh Liberia. I'm glad that the church keeps up on those things and and keeps the safety of their missionaries paramount. I'm sure the moms are very grateful. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Okay, now that we are done with overseas stuff, let's go back to America and specifically Utah. <laughs> oh, so, we love a good Utah news story. We love story. a good Utah news story. <laughs> this one is fascinating. Okay, you may remember TLC several years ago started this show called Sister Wives. And um, this was about Cody Brown and his three wives. Right. And our four wives. Yeah, he's got four They started wives. with three. They he, started with he three. He picked up another one on the show. He did. Anyway, they left Utah in the dead of night under cover of darkness because they feared they were going to be prosecuted for polygamy. They moved, Which was probably part of a storyline. I think, think it was a little inflated for the show. I do agree there. Anyway, um, they um, so they moved to Las Vegas and they've been living in Las Vegas. Well, the Utah legislature, there is a representative this year who introduced a bill that would essentially decriminalize polygamy. It would turn it from a felony into basically an infraction. So on par with a traffic ticket. Right. So if you happen to ever be prosecuted for polygamy, the most that would happen is you'd be given a fine and sent on your way. Right. Which is highly unlikely. Anyway, when is the last time anyone was prosecuted for that? Yeah. I'm super curious. We should have looked that up. (laughs) What they usually do is they usually prosecute only if it's in conjunction with another crime. Right. So if a polygamist has been been kidding, welfare Mm -hmm. fraud or abuse or some other type of crime, that's... That's when they'll throw in, oh, by the way, you're a polygamist and that's illegal too. Right. So, but if it's just polygamy, like Cody Brown and his wives, Mm -hmm. I have seen nothing to indicate they are engaging in any welfare fraud or abuse. Mm -hmm. They were all adults when they made the decision to uh, become polygamous. So um, in that case, I don't see him being prosecuted. But here's what's really interesting. The Mm -hmm. article says... There are an estimated 30,000 Utahns currently living in polygamous communities, according to the Associated Press. That seems like higher than I would have thought. I know. It does seem really high. Especially considering the Warren Jeffs group kind of got broken up, right? Although some of them were in other states, right? Well, and when it says 30,000 living in polygamous communities... That probably counts children. I'm sure it counts children, and, and there are people who are in polygamous communities that... I believe are in some monogamous relationships, but mm-hmm. they identify with this polygamous sect and, mm-hmm. and may become polygamous. But yeah, still that's, that's, I, I think that that's high. So anyway, um, some, of course, with anything, there are people who are against it. Uh, there is a woman by the name of Angela Kelly. She is the director of a group here. Where is it? Um, that um, basically Sound Choices Coalition uh, is a non 
Oh, that's a nonprofit organization working to end polygamy. Um, but she is, she's the director of a, of a group that says, Hey, we don't want to mm-hmm. decriminalize this because, um, while there's law abiding polygamists, there's a lot of things that are ripe for abuse and pedophiles and traffickers in polygamy. Right. And so to make this an infraction, you're saying this is an okay lifestyle. So she, of course, was against it, but I'm pretty sure it will pass and it yeah. will be an infraction. Does not change the church's standpoint on this, which is if you practice polygamy, we will excommunicate you. Right. We're done with that. Very interesting that all these years later, it's finally I know coming back into the legislature. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Next story is um, this one's a, another political one. This one is actually about Mayor Pete Pete Buttigieg, one of our Democratic candidates for president. Yes, he has ties to a member of the church. Well, please do enlighten <laughs> us. So apparently, he served in Afghanistan. He served overseas for, I believe, seven months. He And it was while he was mayor, he actually, before he ran for mayor, I guess, uh-huh. enlisted in the Navy Reserves. Uh-huh. And during his term as mayor, if I'm understanding correctly, served this seven yep. months. He must have taken a leave of absence well, or something. That's like the mayor of so, Ogden that was killed oh, in service right. a little over a year ago. He was still the active mayor and he oh, got I called up for about duty that. and he was in the reserves. Yeah. And he said, well, just like anybody else who's in the reserves, right. when you get called up, you go. Right. So anyway, when Mayor Pete got called up, he went. Got called up, he went to Afghanistan. His officer over him, he was a lieutenant while he was in Afghanistan. The officer over him was a colonel, Guy Hollingsworth. He's retired now. Uh, But at the time, he was his immediate uh, officer over him. He is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so recently, he has come into the spotlight because some news organizations have tracked him down and hounded him and tried to get information about Mayor Pete out of him. Say, give us the dirt. That's right. (laughs) We want to know what's Mayor Pete all about. That's right. So he had nothing but good things to say about Mayor Pete. Okay. He said that he quickly won his trust of Colonel Hollingsworth. Uh, that like right away they kind of hit it off. He could tell he was well spoken. He could tell he was like a good guy and mm-hmm. trustworthy. So he gave him a lot of trusted jobs, uh-huh. uh, counterintelligence jobs while they were there. So, uh, this also, I thought this was interesting. This C- Colonel Hollingsworth is vice president of LDS Business College right now. Oh, very interesting. So. Anyway, so they were, uh, he said he, that the mayor proved to be a vital intelligence gatherer, liaison, and counselor, even one of his main security drivers Mm. while they were in Kabul. And it said that Colonel Hollingsworth was impressed because he knew that Mayor Pete had all these uh, accomplishments. He knew he was mayor. He had been very well accomplished in his academic life. And he said he found him to be very modest. He didn't like mention any mm-hmm. of these outside achievements. Once he got mm-hmm. to Afghanistan, it wasn't something he talked about. And he was very humble and just was there to work with everybody else. So he had good things to say. He said, sometimes they would uh, go back and forth about football. 
because Hollingsworth is a BYU graduate. Okay. And Pete Buttigieg was Notre Dame. So they would have a little BYU Notre Dame. So we had the Mormons versus the Catholics. Yes. They would go back and forth about that. And he actually said when their time was up, uh, he said that Buttigieg once gave him a standing offer to attend a Notre Dame football game with him oh. in South Bend. And then the colonel returned the offer and said, you also have a standing offer to come see a BYU game with me if you are ever in Provo. Interesting. I don't believe either of these things have happened yet. <laughs> well, you know, it's out there. It still could. That's and the right. media would be all over it. Oh, yes. So there you go. And then there's more in the article about Pete Buttigieg, but... That was the chunk that was about um, this colonel that is LDS that knew him in Afghanistan. Very interesting. Well, Mm -hmm. and it's always interesting to get the perspective of someone like that who's literally been boots on the ground with him. Right, right. And he did say in the article that like they're very different uh, politically, politically, uh, but that he just still has so much respect for him. So, And, you know, what is so nice about that is because so often in today's political world. It's like, if you disagree with me politically, you are the enemy. Right. And for him to be able to say, yeah, I disagree with him politically, but he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. And these are the good things about him, even though our political views aren't the same. Right. Yeah. So I very much appreciate the civility of that. Yes, me too. We're not seeing much of that lately. No, we are not. Okay, let's move on to late last week on the 13th of February. You know how the church likes to do our little news drops and things towards the Mm -hmm. end of the week. This one was on Thursday, but don't fear, we have a Friday one as well. (laughs) So this Thursday one, um, actually it was... The, the press release was Thursday, but the church released a new app on February 12th, and this was the Gospel Living app for youth. You may have recalled um, they have been promising this app for some time now with the changes in the primary curriculum as well as the um, uh, restructuring of, of young women and young men's curriculums. Mm-hmm. And so I have gotten on and I have downloaded the app. Did you check it out? I have checked it out. And I have to tell you, I really like the app. In fact, I'm going to pull it up right now. And I'm just going to tell you about some of the features that are on the app. And I want to tell you this. I want to use the app for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I realize that, you know, at least biologically, I no longer classify (laughs) as a young woman uh, between the ages of 12 and 18. But there are some features about this app that I think are so cool that I really like. Okay, tell us. Okay, so the first page of the app, um, it's called Discover, and there's all sorts of different links and things that you can click on. Mm -hmm. And some of them will have stories um, that youth are telling, hey, this was a hard thing, this was a challenge for me. And um, some of them, when you click on the stories, at the end of the story, will have a little sort of a thing that says, strive to be. Like, for example, this story that I just clicked on it was entitled, Seeing the Other Point of View. Mm-hmm. And it talks about um, a girl who grew up in a situation with a stepdad that had a very different viewpoint from her and her learning to love him by understanding his his viewpoint. And then at the end, there's a little prompt that says, is there someone in your life you don't get along with? What is more you could do to see that person's point of view and try to understand them? Mm -hmm. And I really liked that because 
I mean, both of us have girls that are soon to be 13 and are kind of in the middle of girl drama, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Uh, It's just natural for that middle school age, I think. Prime age. Prime age. And so I think, you know, how cool to be able to direct your kid and say, hey, I want you to read this story. And then I want you to think about this and let's Mm -hmm. talk about this or do a little journaling about that. So I liked that aspect of it. There's music on the main page. The kids mm-hmm. can listen to music while they look at these. There's all sorts of videos that the church has produced. Just really wonderful things. The next thing that you can click on is a Today app. And say, for example, I wanted to put in, okay, I'm going to read my scriptures for 30 minutes today. Mm-hmm. Or honestly, you could put in anything. Like I could use this for my daily list of this is when I want to do it uh-huh. and how I want to do it. And then it sends you reminders. It's you like know, a calendar. Like a calendar app. thing. Okay. You know, have you done that? And then there's one called My Life. And when you click on that one, in that one, you can either go in there and write individual goals. And mm-hmm. if you, <coughs> excuse me. If you click on create a new goal, you have the goal title and then the description of the goal. And for the youth, they can just write in there or click, is it a spiritual goal, a social goal, a physical goal, or an intellectual goal? Mm. Well, I could use goals in all of those areas myself. I thought right. this might be a good tool for me to just even keep track of my own goals. Right. Well, we're supposed to be kind of doing it along with them. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So I really liked that. Mm-hmm. If you go to impressions, that's where you can do journaling. Okay. You know, how often does something come to you and you think, I need to write that down? Mm-hmm. And we never have a piece of paper and a pen with us. Just this week, I was taking a phone call in my car, a business-related phone call, and I literally did not have a piece of paper anywhere. I am writing the notes for my business-related phone call on my McDonald's bag. I kid you not. (laughs) And so I thought, how cool is this that like, when Uh an impression comes, that I can just go into this and write an impression or a thought, just type it in there. I really liked that. And then there's another one called My Circles, And so you're automatically joined to your household circle. Mm -hmm. And then if you have teenage children, you can see their circles. So when I click on it, I can see my 13-year-old circle. And so it has the circle of people who are in her Sunday school class, the circle of people who are in her house, the circle of people who are in her youth group, Mm -hmm. young women. And um, Okay, so can they like message or text their circles? Is that what this is for? Yes, that's what this is for. So everyone has to has to join. So like, Mm -hmm. my husband's working on getting all of the priests to get on here and join Mm -hmm. so that then the secretary for the priest quorum can send out, (coughs) excuse me, a mass message Mm -hmm. via this system to say, hey, tonight we're meeting at 6 p.m. for basketball practice. Mm. And it goes to all their phones. The tricky part is, is it's linked to your LDS account. So if you have not updated your LDS account with either a good email or a Mm -hmm. good telephone number, it's going to go to whatever the default is in your LDS account. Oh, probably your parents. (coughs) Probably your parents. So one of the things that he's planning on working on with his priests, at least, because the 16-year-olds all have their phones, is having them get on, get their number in there, get their email address in there, Mm -hmm. and get that saved correctly and then linked up. Okay. So I am so far really liking this app. Okay. (coughs) Nobody... (coughs) can tell my 12-year-old about this app. 
Okay, why not? Because she has been lobbying for a smartphone for many years now. Oh, and she will add this to her list of ammunition as to why she should get one. Well, We're trying to hold out. And this will not help if she can add this to her list. I will tell you this. If they don't have a smartphone, she can log into LDS.org and all of these features are available for See her online. on LDS.org oh, on okay, your good. computer. Now I can be ready for her argument. You can be ready for her <laughs> argument. You can say, oh, but you don't have to have a smartphone to do this. You can get onto the computer. There you go. Well, in fact, if she has, I wonder if, um, she has a Kindle, but she probably can't put apps on her Kindle. No. Okay. So, all right. Okay. Very cool. All right. What's next? Oh, internet access. Uh, That's the one that dropped Friday, I believe. Well, Jeff wrote about it Friday. I think it had dropped before that. Okay. But Jeff wrote an article about it on Friday. So they have changed the Wi-Fi username and password at all of the churches. I can't even remember what the old one was. It was about pioneers, right? Oh, yes. So when you when you went to a church building and you'd look for Wi-Fi access, it would say LDS access. So you'd click on LDS access, and then you put in Pioneer 47. Okay. See, I'm to very- To honor the arrival of the saints in 1847 in the Salt Lake Valley. I can't even remember that because I have been trained by my technology guru husband for many, many years now not to depend on church wireless. <laughs> So actually, I don't even pay attention to it. <laughs> well, I do not rely on it. What, so. what, what's ended up happening is people, I mean, that LDS access with that password is universal throughout the church. Right. So you go into any building and you're automatically connected to the Wi-Fi once you have connected the first time in your own building. Right. So the change, they changed the username to Leahona for everyone, again, all across the church. And the password is the scriptures. Sorry, was I not supposed to say that? <laughs> hey, I saw it in a press release. This is the other thing that's funny because they also said, well, two things. First, every time you log on now, it's going to make you hit the little screen that says you accept the terms yes. and conditions. And they say that they're doing this as a gentle reminder, or we're speculating, they're doing this as a gentle reminder to remind people that this internet access is supposed to be used for church well, and I think the Thanks. other reason they're doing it too is, you know, when I go into the building mm-hmm. and my phone automatically recognizes right. LDS access, it'll start like downloading emails and all of that kind of stuff. It will automatically get onto the system. And as we know, when you've got 400 people in a building on, well, maybe not 400, but you know, 200 people in a building right. on the system, it's going to slow your internet down. So by actually having to physically click that, you won't be connected until you click it. Right. So their hope is that when people, there will be fewer people accessing it, which will improve the quality of it. In addition to be saying, you shouldn't be surfing anything that's not church related on this website or with this internet access. We shall see if this works. Uh, It also says that... Members and guests who need access to the church network for gospel learning and instruction to perform or support administrative functions or to access other church resources are the ones that are supposed to be using this network and that the password should only be be disseminated to those. But they put the password in the press release, didn't they? I, today, I swear, on not on the TWIM site, uh-huh. but on another site that I saw a copy of the password along with 
or a copy of the press release along with the password. Now, didn't you say your stake has been promoting yes. this change for a while? This has been in our ward newsletter for at least three weeks now. So that goes to what everybody. Did they say? It came from the stake saying, new Wi-Fi password and username. Here it is. Oh. Just in the newsletter. So everybody knows. So this has been, they're, they're not keeping this password a secret. <laughs> okay. I mean, we know it wouldn't be kept a secret anyways, well, yeah. because we're Mormons and we share. Yeah. Well, that is very interesting because the first I heard of this is when uh-huh. Jeff wrote the article and I, uh-huh. and I saw the press release on it. So yeah. Yeah. Our stake has been. Well, your stake is for about three special. Yeah. We have already talked about that. Now I can't tell you if the quality has improved because again, I don't dabble with the church wireless. <laughs> Wise move. <laughs> I don't mess around. <laughs> Well, first of all, you, you, during sacrament, how are you going to mess around? Because you've got a baby that's almost two. That's right. You're not going to be on your phone surfing. Also, I'm not currently teaching on Sundays, so I don't need to ever get yeah. anything. But even if I were, I don't dabble. I download at home. My husband taught me the right way. <laughs> Many years ago when I was teaching young women's and having grievances, he's like, you are doing this all wrong. <laughs> download, download, download. So, Okay. All right. Our next article is an interview that the presiding bishopric gave to the Deseret News. Now, as you know, it has been in and out of the news for probably about six weeks now. Um, it started with the Washington Post saying, hey, the LDS church has a little bit of money stashed <laughs> to the tune of about a hundred billion. Um, the church said, eh, that number may be overinflated, but yeah, you know, we have a rainy day fund, so to speak. And so since then, um, you know, that's been about all of the churches had to say about it. Right. They haven't said much about it other than, you know, we are commanded to use our resources wisely and prudently, and right. we are using our resources wisely and prudently. But we joke that it keeps coming up because any, oh, yeah. anytime anything happens, someone will say, well, you have all this money. You've got a hundred billion. Why are you going to pay for that? So the church finally elaborated a little bit. Yes. And so they sent the presiding bishopric to do the dirty work, so to speak. Although it is not very dirty because it was not very a dirty. Deseret News article. True. And really, you know, how dirty is the, is the presiding bishopric going to be? Anyway, so the presiding bishopric, bishop, is a gentleman by the name of Gerald, um, what did we determine? Cossie. Cossie. I think that's what we decided. We, we were, he's French. <laughs> Neither one of us speak French. We weren't entirely sure how to Hopefully pronounce his last name. Hopefully we didn't butcher that. Um, for those of you who speak French, if we butchered it. Sorry. Please forgive us. Anyway, so Bishop Cossie, they interviewed him along with his two counselors, Dean M. Davies and Bishop W. Christopher Waddell. Very American names I can pronounce. (laughs) Anyway, so what they say about, um, so this fund that has all the money Mm -hmm. is being managed by this group called Enzyme Peak, which was created by the church. And um, one of the things that they repeatedly say is they say, the Bishop, Bishop Cossie says, if you look at the church as a financial institution, you will never understand it, he said. You have to look at it as an organization of consecrated followers of Jesus Christ with a mission. He said it's a church, not a financial institution. Right. And he says the church's priorities, which we know are helping the members live the gospel, gathering Israel through missionary work, caring for the poor and needy, and enabling the salvation of the dead by building temples. 
So whenever they look at how they are going to use money that either comes in from tithing or is generated by investments, Mm -hmm. they are looking for those things. And one of the interesting things he said is he said, over the past five years, the church has um, doubled its humanitarian donations and spent nearly a billion dollars annually to care for the poor and needy. Wow. That that is a chunk of money, Mm a billion dollars annually. The costs associated with running the church are also increasing. The organization provides support for 30,000 congregations educates 850,000 students in seminary and institute as and is engaged in aggressive temple construction maintaining 167 temples with another 50 announced or under construction and cumulatively expenses of the church's universities are about 1.5 billion a year whoa yeah you know when you think about i mean you've got BYU, you've got mm-hmm. BYU Hawaii, you've got BYU Idaho, and then you've got the whole um oh their online their online program oh, right. that uh that they are heavily promoting that and it it starts with a P and it just the name just pathways, is, pathways yeah. um, that they're heavily promoting and putting a lot of funds into mm-hmm. that's providing a lot of educational opportunities for individuals who might not otherwise be able to do that. And so um, what they're talking about is he says, just like the biblical prophet Joseph saved for seven years of famine during seven years of prosperity, there will come a time when these resources reserves will be necessary, said Bishop Waddell. So they're saying, yeah, you know, economic times are really good right now. And we are pigeonholing that money away because we know that there will be times when they will not be so good. And we will need that money. And mm-hmm. so that's why they're, they're putting it away. Um, they also, so they believe those reserves are going to be used. Um, and that when those times come, they will not have to stop missionary work. They won't have to stop uh, maintaining buildings and building temples. They won't have to stop humanitarian welfare work and they won't have to stop education. Hmm. So those programs that they have in place right now will be able to continue. Um, they also talk about that. Um, and this is, this is probably, this is how I feel about tithing. I mean, it is a commandment Mm -hmm. and I pay my tithing. I don't ever think about what is the church doing with my money after I pay it, because it, to me, it's not about what the church does. It's about a commitment that I made to the Lord to Mm -hmm. pay my tithing. And even if the church were to squander it, which I know is never going to happen, but even if the church were to squander it, I'm keeping a commitment I made with the Lord, not with the church. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. That's how I look at it anyway. So um, anyway, I just, I thought it was a really good article. Uh, they also talk about with their humanitarian work that they just can't send out cash and checks to people. It has to be done in an organized way with follow-up, with training, a lot of expertise and good partners. Otherwise you don't get results. Right. Which again, the church is very oriented in terms of, you know, we want to get the most bang for our buck and we want to help people in a way that will be beneficial to them. Right. And in other news, I did see, although we didn't link this article or um, print this article, they bought a ranch in Dallas. Uh, the church did? The church did. Oh. And uh, I want to say it was about a $50 million ranch. Was it that much money? Anyway, big ranch in Dallas. Like cattle ranch? It has cattle mm-hmm. and it also has sorghum and I be- believe some other crops that are grown on it. So they're mm-hmm. increasing their real estate holdings. 
And Interesting. Those the ranch, I believed there's a for profit uh uh oh arm of the church that mm-hmm. holds a lot of these real estate holdings for ranches and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that was purchased through that for profit. Okay. So any money they make on it, they will be paying taxes. For those who think the church doesn't pay taxes. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, another church news out of Salt Lake. The Church History Museum has opened a brand new interactive temple-themed exhibit. So this is in the Church History Museum adjacent to Temple Square. As you know, uh, they said this exhibit is primarily designed for children ages 1 to 11, and it gives family an interactive experience to discover the purpose of the temples. So it said it has a replica of an outer wall of a temple, ordinance rooms, and a full-size baptistry ox that was once housed in the Frankfurt, Germany temple. Wow. So it sounds cool. The museum educator, his name is Craig Rode. He said his favorite activity at the exhibit is a wooden train track that demonstrates Brazilian Latter-day Saints traveling over 3,000 miles by boat and bus to ascend to attend the Sao Paulo Temple. So kind of a visualization of how far some of these saints have to travel. So it I want to go play cool. in the temple exhibit. Well, and they also said... The timing is perfect. They said that when they started planning this was about three years ago, and it was before it had been announced that the Salt Lake Temple would be closing uh, for the renovation. And now they're just, of course, pleased as punch that this is opening right in time as the temple's closing because it gives an alternative thing to do when you're wanting to see Temple Square, but Temple Square's there's not much not to available. See there. <laughs> you can go to the Church History Museum and still learn a little bit about temples even though you can't physically be on Temple Square. So very cool. Sounds good. If, uh, if one of us goes and sees it, we'll report back. We will return and report. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for our stories. Shall we move on to our favorite things? Yes. Let's do our favorite things. Okay. Why don't you start with your favorite thing? All right. Again, this is just for fun because we just like to share. So my favorite thing that over this past month has been a podcast. I think you're going to pick the same podcast I was going to pick. Because oh, I just picking? pulled I just pulled this up on my phone. Is that what you're going to pick? It is what I'm going to pick. Okay, we are sharing okay. the same favorite we thing this month. We have a joint favorite thing we this month. Joint? We've never had a joint We've favorite thing. We've never had a joint favorite we thing. We never talk about our favorite things before we come on to record. Which I'm surprised we've never had a joint one because I we know. always like the same thing. Well, we share a brain. <laughs> so this one is a podcast called The Big One, Your Survival Guide to the big one in Southern California. So this was, it's actually an older podcast. It was put out about a year ago and it was done by California public radio. And it is, it's good. It's freaking good. How many episodes? I think it's 12 episodes, 12 episodes. And it is all about what will happen when the big one hits, not what would happen if it hit, but what will happen when it does hit the San Andreas fault, Southern California. We've all heard about this for years. People in Idaho fully believe <laughs> that California will break off and float away in the ocean. <laughs> that, that is a, a myth. That is a myth I've heard from my childhood. Me by too. Old time Idahoans. <laughs> Just going to fall off into the ocean. They're going to have an earthquake, but California folks will still be there. <laughs> it is not going to fall off into the ocean, no matter how much you wish it and think the evil people who live there should all die of a watery, fiery death. 
We're just trying to say some people in Idaho have a little California hate. We are not amongst them. No, we're not (laughs) at all. So anyways, it's fascinating. It just runs you through all the scenarios, all the different things to think about that will happen. Well, the economy and they have interviews with people who have survived the Northridge quake, Mm -hmm. people who survived a very large earthquake in Christchurch, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So yes. So it's it's fascinating. This super plays to, I have kind of this obsession, fascination with natural disasters. I never, ever would like to be in one, but I'm really fascinated by them. So, Well, and the other thing too, that I thought was really interesting in this podcast is, of course, members of the church, we are all instructed, hey, have a 72-hour kit, have a plan for a natural disaster, you know, look at where you live and what kind of natural Mm -hmm. disasters can happen. And so, you know, prepper stuff, in fact, it's kind of interesting, we're starting the podcast with prepper stuff, and we're ending the podcast with prepper stuff that um, have a plan, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the radio host talked about in this podcast was, you know, you can really go overboard. You can go down the rabbit hole of, I have to have a whole trailer full of equipment. And and so it's all about having a balance because one of the things they talk about in the podcast is you want to be prepared, but no matter how much preparing you do, you will never be fully prepared and so you you will always have regrets that I could have prepared more. Mm-hmm. So just realize you're going to have those regrets. Right. And just do what you can. Right. So anyway, it was just really interesting. Completely fascinating. Interesting to listen to. Kind of gets your mind thinking yes. about being prepared for exactly. not just if you live in California, but wherever you're wherever at. Wherever you at, yeah. you are could be subject to natural disasters. So, so. it's a good one if you're looking for a podcast. It's yep. called The Big One. And even though the episodes, there's 12 of them, they average about 30 minutes a piece. Yeah, so. they're shorter. They're shorter. So. Okay. All right. All right. I think that wraps it up for us. Twim Nation, thank you very much for joining us. As always, we look forward to spending time with you and sharing our thoughts and we appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.